Happy Friday, everybody. Thank God it's Friday, November the 30th, 2018. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran, broadcasting Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Palm Springs, and our newest edition, Hey All in Houston, 95.7 HD2 out in Houston. Welcome to the gang, Houston. We're going to have a great show today. Uh, tomorrow, December the 1st, is the 30th annual World AIDS Day. So we're going to have some guests on today to talk about HIV and AIDS and highlight World AIDS Day. And this week was also the birthday of the city of West Hollywood. That's the city where I serve as mayor. Mayor of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real, the mayor. I know a lot of people say, I'm the mayor of West Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually am the mayor of West Hollywood. So we're going to have the city manager here from West Hollywood, Paul Aravalo. He is a straight dude in charge of the gayest city on earth. I love that. I love that West Hollywood has been managed now for 20 years by this phenomenal guy, Paul Aravalo. Straight dude, but obviously a gay-loving straight dude. So we'll be talking to Paul about West Hollywood celebrating his 34th birthday. And also this week is the 40-year, I cannot believe it, 40-year anniversary of the assassination of Harvey Milk. We'll be talking a little bit about Harvey. And, uh, you know, I think he's known around the world for his martyrdom for gay causes but when he was alive he he was quite a colorful controversial character and most people don't realize he was in public office for only one year actually less than one year so we don't really recognize harvey milk for his legislative accomplishments sadly he didn't have time to do any of that because uh dan white assassinated him on the san francisco board of supervisors but instead we remember harvey Harvey for being the first out uh, gay person to get elected to office and to become, uh, sadly, the, the, the tragic figure of martyrdom that ended up launching the White Knight riots uh, over the verdict, the manslaughter verdict, when Dan White got only manslaughter using the Twinkie defense, which enraged people throughout San Francisco and all over this country that LGBT people could not find justice in our justice system and created a whole new level and a quantum leap for LGBT history when Harvey was assassinated in November of 1978. So that's our day today. We're going to be talking about World AIDS Day, about the city of West Hollywood's 34th birthday, and about Harvey Milk. And I want to give you all a teaser because next Friday... I'm going to be broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. We are adding Washington, D.C. to our array of cities that are part of Channel Q. And I'm going there because it's the annual Victory Fund Conference, the LGBT Elected Officials Conference, where LGBT electeds from all over the country and the world gather once a year for conference. And because of the blue wave blue wave blue tsunami that happened uh earlier this month we've got about 25 new fresh men and women who are joining the new class uh, of lgbt electeds and so since i'm going to be in dc and we're going to have lgbt electeds from all over the country in dc the producers and the wise folk here at Channel Q thought it'd be great to broadcast from D.C. So I'll be broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. next Friday with some guests, LGBT elected officials from all over the country. It's going to be a great show. So uh, I look forward to speaking to you all from uh, Washington, D.C. next week. So there you have it. And by the way, I, I just want to let you know that uh, Mike Pence will be the target of my ire at the end of this show because, boy, that jerk just chokes my bird man he world aids day for the second year in a row mike pence made no mention of the lgbt community as if we didn't exist two years in a row thank you donald trump and mike pence so i you know what i'm not fully caffeinated so i will hold off on my rant on mike pence until the end of the show besides let's not talk about mike pence in the beginning he's a goofus let's talk about the really important people that will be here today we're going to have dr tony mills uh, leading physician here in los angeles on hiv treatment and care talking about hiv and aids we're gonna have sherry lewis sherry a longtime activist on hiv and aids one of the uh you know rare hiv positive women who's been living with HIV for 30 years, and she's still here, and she's kicking. She's actually kicking the pants. You're going to love her. And then Jack Lorenz from the Alliance for Housing and Healing. Jack runs the organization that's responsible for housing and feeding a lot of people with HIV all over greater Los Angeles. 
great people to have on to recognize World AIDS Day this week. And of course, when we come back after commercial break, we will be talking to the city manager, the CEO, the chief executive officer of the city of West Hollywood, the most rocking little town in America. And he is a straight dude. Uh, but he has been occupying the manager's chair for more than 20 years. And I just thought it'd be fascinating to talk to the straight dude about how it feels to be presumed to be gay. I hate to tell you about my two producers here in the control room. I thought they were gay. They're both cute. What, what can I say? I thought they were gay. Uh, and people always think Paul is gay, but he's not. He's a straight dude running Gage City. So more about all of that when we come back. You're listening to us here on Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, gang. Welcome back. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and here it is Friday morning, and as, as promised, I told you that it's the city of West Hollywood's 34th birthday this week. The city has turned 34, and most people don't realize that the chief executive officer of the city of West Hollywood is not gay. He's a straight dude, and he's in the studio with me today, Paul Aravalo. Paul, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad. You're, now, tell people, you've been with the city how, how many years? This weekend, it'll be 28 years. Wow. And the city's 34. So yeah. you have been there from almost the beginning when the city was, uh, well, I don't want to say it, but it was an armpit. It was not always great. It, it was not always, well, the city itself was always great. We, yeah. we had infrastructure challenges. I and, love the and, way you say it, infrastructure challenges. I'm, I'm being politically correct. <laughs> yeah, you're um, doing it well. We, 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 as you know, we took over uh, unincorporated area from L.A. County. Uh, and the, the challenge we have now, even after the 34 years, is we're a new city, a young city, but we have an old infrastructure. Right, right. And, you know, our, our, uh, and that's one of our the roads, our housing. Ahead. Exactly. But the exactly. city is building new parks, new libraries. Areas, all of the telephone poles are underground. The city, actually, people may not know this. City of West Hollywood, one of the few cities, only 8% of cities in America during the Great Recession were actually in the black, and the city of West Hollywood was one. And we were very fortunate. And that's uh, because blessed. of you. But you were the finance director. You put all this structure into place. Well, well the structure was there. We just were able to hide the money. So <laughs> um, it, it's it's one of these things that we're, we're blessed to have a very resilient economy yeah. in West Hollywood. We have a lot of small business that do very well. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, as you know, we rely on tourism. We right. have great hotels. Um, we have people who visit the city of West Hollywood and they spend a lot of money there. So we're, we're very fortunate. We are. I tell people all the time, West Hollywood, we have a daytime economy and then we have a nighttime economy. Like Beverly Hills, about nine o'clock, they're shutting down. They're going lights out and we're just lighting up the strip. We're ready for round two. Yeah, we have a lot of night owls. We yeah. have a lot. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. <laughs> now, I got to tell our listeners, um, I think a lot of people presume you to be gay because you're attractive and people look at you and they're like, look at that guy. He's got to be. Does that happen? Or what, what is it like to be the chief executive officer of a city that's highly identified with LGBT culture? It's it's great. It's um, When I first got here, I was in my late 20s and it was something that was a challenge for me to work to be accepted by the community. It was it was more my effort to extend myself to uh, the people in West Hollywood. And they graciously put up with me. And they've been putting up with me for a lot of years. <laughs> a lot. You, in fact, I think you're one of the longest serving city managers in the state of California, right? You're up there. You gotta be I'm the up top there. Three. Yeah, I'm, I'm up there. Um, uh, I'm very blessed to, to have grown up in West Hollywood. I, I never dreamed of being a city manager. My finances, you know, was my background, and right. I kind of stumbled into the job, and it's been an amazing ride. Yeah, it has been, and you have renovated, innovated, well, along with the council, I get, we are part of it, but along with the community in recreating the Sunset Strip, recreating historic Boys Town, recreating Santa Monica Boulevard, Melrose. There, there were certain things that happened in West Hollywood that were really instrumental 
environmental issues. Obviously, incorporating being a contract city that helps uh, us manage our costs. You know, we work with the LA County Sheriffs. Um, also, the you know, before we incorporated, we had a number of apartment buildings that illegally converted to hotels, right. and that was the start of our tourism business. And that was really you know instrumental and. In, providing that financial foundation for the yeah. city of West Hollywood. Other major things was the Gateway Project, taking over Santa Monica Boulevard and right. creating our own West Hollywood Main Street. And that's what it and, is. And uh, yep. we've been just running at full speed ever since. Now, when the city incorporated, all the naysayers said, it's never going to survive. It doesn't have an economy. It's got no tax base. The county's going to have to take it back over within years. They were all wrong. Well, a lot of it was... You know, back to a strong city council. We had a council member with blue hair. Um, we, we, we were <laughs> John the, Heilman, guys. <laughs> we, we, yeah, I remember when I first came to West Hollywood, we were the experiment that a lot of people wanted to fail. Right. And uh, we failed fantastically. We did. <laughs> we did. And I, I think John Heilman, one of my colleagues, he's been on the council since the day the city got started, right? 34 years, yep. making him one of the longest serving elected officials in the country. And so. we have uh, the first employee hired by the city was our city attorney, Mike Jenkins, who's still with us. Since day one. And you've been there 22 years, 28 years. 28 years. 28, uh, 19 is city manager. So it's been, it's That's, been uh, a lot of longevity, but at the same time, uh, we're always changing. I mean, the city is yeah. constantly changing. Uh, yeah. We're always tackling big projects, whether it's capital infrastructure projects or um, pushing the envelope with legislation. Yeah. Um, we're, we're always on the forefront. People sometimes say to me, West High was becoming less gay. And I'm like, nope. Demographically, we're still 40% LGBT. We're not less gay. We're more gray. We I think we're I would agree aging with that. in place. But also, I think Los Angeles as a community is a greater area is also becoming more gay. What we have in West Hollywood used to be so special and so unique. It was the only place you could be safe and right. openly gay. Right. You're finding now that you can go to Pasadena, Long Beach, downtown right. Los Angeles. Definitely it's, Long Beach. It's yeah. just Silver Lake, Echo Park. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just part of the the Southern California fabric. Now. I think that's true. But West that's Hollywood, yeah, West Hollywood was like the Plymouth Rock. Yes. Right? it's yeah. where the Pilgrims first put their foot, on and West it still is. It's, yeah, it, or put it, their it, heel. They uh, laid their heel down on West Hollywood, and they're still looking good. It, it's you're you're looking at the the kind of the the classic boys town or the Rainbow District on Santa Monica Boulevard, and we have new businesses constantly coming in there and they really embrace that neighborhood. Um, you have uh, one of the restaurants that's opening on the corner of San Vicente and Santa Monica Boulevard, kind of the epicenter. Rocco's, of, right? And By Lance, Lance Bass. Lance Bass. And, it's, and they own a number of, of restaurants throughout Los Angeles. And this is the first one where it's all rainbow. It's it, They're totally embracing their location. They're embracing the community. Well, same with uh, Bottega Louis. Yep. Bottega Louis is opening West Hollywood. They're going to have to rainbow it up. Lisa Vanderpump, she's completely rainbowed up everything e on Everything, everything. Yeah. And, and Bottega Louis is going to have to have low-carb Diet. You're have to. That's true. No pasta. No pasta. People are always saying, "Does West Hollywood really need another gym?" It's like the market dictates. Yes, the apparently. Yes. Apparently, we do need yet another gym in West Hollywood. I got to tell you, we're, we're doing World AIDS Day today, and I know that you lost somebody really close to you uh, through HIV. Wasn't it your assistant at City Hall? Um, you know, when I first got to West Hollywood, this was this was part of the education process that you never thought you would have. And so I, I was 28, 29. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, grew up in East L.A. and uh, came to West Hollywood. And I just wanted to do budget. I just wanted to do finance. Um, and part of being acclimated to the West Hollywood community was dealing with the pandemic of AIDS. Right. And, um, yes, it was it was just a a almost a daily reminder of, of the challenge. And I've lost lots of friends here at City Hall. Right. And um, it's what makes West Hollywood special is that we went through that. Yeah, we did. Under your leadership, Paul, I want to thank you. Thank you. Well, our segment's about over, but I hope you'll come back another day. Anytime. Uh, talking about Halloween or Pride or whatever else we got to talk about. So, Paula Arvalo, City Manager, West Hollywood. You're listening to us here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, everyone. Sidebar with John Duran, broadcasting in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, beautiful Palm Springs, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and our newest sister city, Houston. Welcome, Houston. Adding Washington, D.C. and Miami next week. So excited to be broadcasting everywhere. And our it's World AIDS Day tomorrow, gang. And so one of the leading physicians here in Los Angeles and a good friend of mine is Dr. Tony Mills, and he is our next guest to give us an update on what's going on on the world of HIV and AIDS. Dr. Mills. Thank well, you, John. So yeah. nice to be here. Good to have you. Now, remind me again, where are you from? You're from the South. So originally much. South Carolina. Yeah. Wow. I've been in LA for about 20 years, but wow. originally from South Carolina. Did you get your HIV practice started in the South or did you start here in LA or? You know, I found myself in San Francisco in the early 80s and I oh, went to wow. study cardiology and I realized when I was there that there was something bigger than cardiology going on. So that's how I got my introduction into HIV. Well, you were one of the ground zero places. I mean, here in LA, of course, we had Michael Gottlieb uh, being one of the first doctors to sort of figure out the pieces of the puzzle. And then we had the Pacific Oaks group, and, of course, they went through a lot of trauma, and, you know, that little group of gay doctors. And But you've kind of become the leading voice now in HIV and AIDS in the city, and so well-respected. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I love you. Dr. Mills is wearing a red ribbon today, kids. And for those of you under 30, that became <laughs> a symbol of being an affinity with people living with HIV. So the, historically on World AIDS Day, we mourn our dead, of course, but part of it is we recognize the heroism of, the, you know, the women and men who are responding, but also educate. And so where, where are we? Are we really going to get to zero infections and zero deaths? Are we getting closer? Where, where do you think we are? You know, we're all determined that we're going to get there. Um, and uh, it's been a long road, obviously. Uh, you know, we would love to have solved this thing years ago. Uh, but we've got amazing medications now that are nearly 100% effective for treating HIV. We've got amazing medications nearly 100% effective for preventing HIV. So actually, it's interesting. What we're struggling with now more is, uh, you know, the social determinants of health. How do we get access to these medications for people? How do we fight the stigma that keeps people from being being engaged in healthcare, right. um, and how do we, you know, roll it out across the country and really make a change? Yeah, it's still disproportionate impact in the black gay community and the Latino gay community, right? Still, yeah. Is that because of the down low phenomena of hiding sexuality? or You know, that's a part of it. HIV has been an interesting disease. It's really been more than just a, an illness. It's been really a sociologic phenomena because it has a uh, single focused targeted uh, disenfranchised communities. So uh, gay men, uh, black gay men, brown gay men, uh, cisgendered women, uh, black women, uh, transgendered women, uh, IV drug users. So uh, it, it, the disease is really uh, not discriminatory, but somehow it found itself in populations that were uh, disenfranchised. And so that's been a lot of the problem with uh, making big achievements as far as getting those people linked to care, uh, getting them the treatments and, and the uh, services that they need. Yeah. Well, the motto for this year's World AIDS Day is know your status. That's the motto because undetectable equals untransmittable, right? Absolutely, yeah. So explain that for maybe the listener who doesn't know what that means. Yeah, so that's uh, one of the most exciting things to happen in the HIV field really in the last couple of years. You know, for years and years, uh, there was a huge stigma around being HIV positive. And even if people were in treatment, on medications, they had an undetectable viral load, they were healthy, uh, people didn't want to be with them or date them, or, and they shunned them because they were HIV positive and the fear of, of HIV transmission. And what we've learned now is that someone who's HIV positive, he's on medications, who has an undetectable viral load, is actually the safest person you can be with. Yeah. So that person really, we know their status, we know they cannot transmit HIV. Right. Uh, the people you have to worry about are people who are HIV negative, who really don't know what their status is today, whenever they're having that encounter with you. Yeah. So I don't like to read people's beads, because you know I have an anger management problem, <laughs> but the one thing that really gets me on grinder and Scruff, you know, HIV neg only. I'm yes. like, no. Where, where? What are you thinking? You think of this random hookup you're about to hook up with by him just saying, hey, I'm neg, that you're going to entrust barebacking or no condom use or your body 
just on that one word of expression, that's not the effective way to prevent the spread of HIV. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as uh, as our gay culture uh, evolved and, and uh, apps became more and more a way that people were meeting each other, uh, it was painful uh, for people living with HIV. And it was uh, really stigmatizing. And I think that's changing. I think, you know, a lot of the people who are the owners of the apps have been very proactive as far as helping to educate people about that. Uh, they have, you know, uh, specific information about undetectable equals trans- untransmittable. So I think that, um, you know, I believe it's evolving, but it's evolving slowly. Yeah. So listeners, are you hearing that? If you're undetectable, you can't transmit it. Everybody got that. So you got to know your status to yeah. get that started, right? Absolutely. You know, what we know in the United States now, we have about uh, 1.1 million people living with HIV in the United States. Uh, and that's uh, all the people who have HIV, about 86% of those actually know their diagnosis. So one out of every seven people living in the United States who have HIV don't know that they're positive. Who are they? Men uh, of color? Uh, you know, men on the down low? Men who have sex with men? Uh, I mean, those are the primary risk uh, transmission categories, absolutely. Uh, but but we think that they're oftentimes people who aren't getting tested. I mean, those people in the high transmission risk categories, they're often the ones who get tested. So we are concerned that there are people out there who aren't in those categories they're not getting tested and they're spreading the virus. So that's why the CDC has a broad edict that anyone between the ages of 15 and 65 should be tested, no matter if it's your grandmother, your great aunt, what, whatever. If they've never been tested for HIV, everybody should be tested for HIV yeah. at least once in their lifetime. All right. I have to review my 13 dirty words to make sure I'm not about to break the rules of the station. Yeah, da, da. yeah I'm okay. So one of the questions that comes up for a lot of sexually active adults is oral sex. Sure. Is it possible to get HIV through oral sex? You know, that was always a fear and a concern. We know the virus is a fragile virus, and we know mouth enzymes and proteases uh, are dangerous for the virus and destroy the virus. So I think the CDC really has a clear-cut edict now that oral sex is not a risk factor. Yeah. Uh, we've never had a single documented case of HIV transmission from oral sex. Right. The only one we thought we had there for a moment was the Kimberly Bergalis in Florida, right? That she thought she got HIV off a scalpel or a dental instrument in the dental office. But that was a blood-blood transmission, really, right. not a, an oral sex transmission. Right, right. Right. So in the whole history of AIDS, no known cases of transmission through oral sex. Absolutely not. I was at a meeting recently when someone from the CDC stood up and said that, and I thought, okay, I wouldn't necessarily be brave enough to always say that, but if the CDC says it, I'll repeat it. Yeah, and I think they do say it. Yep, I looked they it up do. on their, their website. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you can't get gonorrhea, you can't get chlamydia, you syphilis. can't get all, syphilis, yes. all sorts of other stuff, but yep. HIV is not one HIV is not something oral transmittable. Wow. Well, this is fascinating. We're, Dr. Mills, we're going to uh, go to a commercial break, but I think when we come back, um, I want to talk a little bit about the early days of HIV and AIDS, because we, now we've covered treatment and you know prevention right now, but you and I come from a time that's very, very dark and dreary, and we can't forget those loved ones we left behind. Absolutely, and uh, you know we want to celebrate today, but we want to always remember that past as well. All right, we'll do that when we get back from commercial break. You're listening to us here on Channel Q. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and we are talking to the incredible Dr. Tony Mills about World AIDS Day. And uh, while we were on the break, I was talking to Tony, and he did a lot of his uh, early HIV work in San Francisco. So I know what it was like here in West Hollywood and Southern California. I mean, it was awful. The 80s and the early 90s were just horrible. But tell me a little bit about life in, around the Castro in the in the 80s. Yeah, it was really like a post-apocalyptic uh, scene. I mean, there was no joy. There were no smiles. It was really a, such a dark time. I had my first medical clinic at San Francisco General in 1985, and uh, all my friends thought it'd be great to come and see me because I was, you know, 26, and uh, it'd be fun to have a young doctor, and uh, I diagnosed them all with HIV, and most of them were dead within a year. Mm. So, you know, I played tennis with a friend on Saturday. He died on Monday. I mean, it was just such a, a time. I mean, you remember uh, where we didn't know really what was causing it. We didn't know how to fight it. Uh, um, so it's uh, we've come a long way from there. We have. And I, I remember those early days because we didn't know what it was. And we didn't know how to fight it. We didn't know how it was spread. I mean, it was very frightening. And uh, there were actually gay men who, like, abandoned 
West Hollywood, moved back to Kansas or to Dodge City or wherever they came from to escape what they thought was a plague in their midst. But the one group of people who stepped up heroically were the lesbians. And yes. I always remind gay men, lesbians stepped up. They didn't have to. It didn't affect them directly. It affected them indirectly because they love gay men. But lesbians stepped into the void and took positions of leadership. That happened in the Bay Area too? Absolutely. I mean, I remember being in the hospitals in San Francisco um, and you could look down the hallway and you knew which rooms had the HIV patients because the food was outside. Uh, because the people who worked in the hospitals wouldn't take the food into the patients because of fear. Yeah. Uh, and the lesbians came and they would take the food into the patients. They would feed the patients. Yeah. I, Karen Oakham, who you may know, is a journalist yes. here at the LA Blade, longtime journalist in the community. Uh, she and I went to visit a friend once and they were not going to let us in unless we gloved up, masked up, hooded up. I mean, they wanted to get us dressed in plastic. And Karen and I looked at each other like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. So we walked in. We just took everything off and walked in so we could kiss and hug our friend goodbye. And the nurses were freaking out. You can't do that. So stop us. Stop us. There's such a power of touch. You know, the human touch is so powerful. And so to think that someone in that state where they're ill and they're frightened would be denied that, uh, you know, people wouldn't allow that to happen. And, yeah. and the, the gay community and the lesbian community wouldn't allow that to happen. Yeah, it was amazing. West Hollywood, there are three zip codes, 9004648 and 69, lost 10,000. 10,000 people from 1980 till 1995. That's like a bomb going off in a community. 10,000 people. Life was never, ever the same. Right. You know? And I think one of the hardest things to explain to young people, because they, when they think about HIV, and I will do this with young people under 30, how many of you have actually known anybody who's died of AIDS? Not a one. They've never experienced Kaposi's sarcoma or pneumocystis carini pneumonia or toxoplasmosis or CMV retinitis, all these words that I shouldn't know. You're the doctor. Right. <laughs> I'm right. the lawyer. I shouldn't know these words, but they became our vernacular, our way of communicating in those horrible days. I guess the bright spot is all the organizing that came out of it. I mean, we... I think pulling the community together was really uh, what it did. And, uh, you know, the, the gay community prior to that was a little bit uh, disorganized and people were maybe a little focused on just coming out and being gay and the excitement about that yeah. uh, and not really the responsibility of it. And I think HIV certainly uh, made us all very responsible at uh, a far too young an age. Yeah. It, it was, well, I tell people prior to HIV and AIDS, gay men. Bat, here's where I was. And I was with all my friends. We were in the bars and the baths. In the bars and the baths, couldn't care less about politics, couldn't describe our elected officials, really didn't care. Just about doing drugs, having sex, drinking, doing the clubbing. Lesbians were organizing around the ERA. They were having families. They were having children. But our two worlds were not crossing. And right. when they did, I got chased out of the Palms, which is a lesbian bar, by two dykes with a Q-stick because they did not want me in their women-only space. They're like, <laughs> no, men. And we were doing the same thing. We were not allowing women in Studio One. We wanted three forms of ID and no open-toed shoes. And we were separate worlds. We ended up being forced together. I remember uh, Edna White wrote an editorial one time uh, looking at or, or imagining walking in a bar in the Castro in the late 70s and saying, hey, I have this great idea. What do you guys think about gay marriage? Uh, and uh, hypothesizing he would have been laughed out of the bar because, right. of course, gay men were so not focused on any of those responsible no, things. No. Uh, but now look where we've evolved and come to now uh, where, you know, I had a birthday party for my husband last week and we had 60 people there and everyone was a couple. Wow. That, so that not intentionally, amazing. just that's the way it happened. So I think that uh, it, it did cause us to grow up. It did. Back then, I remember the center was a one room with two phones on Highland Avenue. That was the whole LGBT center. And wow. it was a hotline for STDs. That's all it was. And now it's the largest LGBTQ center in the, in the, the world. world. Yeah. In the world. And the, sadly, we the price we had to pay was in blood. And tears. And that's what I tell people. Most civil rights movements, whether it's been the black community, Latino community, even the women's community, you got to pay the price in blood and tears. And we paid our price. Yes. Yeah. 685,000 deaths in the United States. And I, I would think most of those were are gay and bisexual and men who have sex with men, I'm guessing. Yes. I mean, that, that's all. Again, it's always targeted the disenfranchised communities and gay men were the first group that it targeted. Uh, you know, you talked a little about the isolation uh, earlier and people trying to stay away from it, uh, thinking they could run from it. I remember living in Atlanta in the mid 90s and uh, um, Atlanta, a very ethnically diverse city uh, and uh, gay black men and gay white men 
never interacted right. because the gay black men really felt like AIDS was a white man's disease and they were afraid That's of it. That's ironic. Wow. And now, ironically, uh, yeah. AIDS is really a, a, you know, a, a disease of men of color, gay men of color. Right. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting how it's evolved over the time. Yeah, that originally. And, and like you said, at the time this was happening, you were a brand new doctor. I was a brand new lawyer. I was in my mid-20s. I didn't know how to deal with death and dying, and we had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the end of our segment. I want to thank you for joining. I hope you'll come back again. Absolutely. I'd love, love to, John. To have you. I love the work that you're doing. I love the, that you're spreading the, the positive things about our community all across the country. Thank That's you. fantastic. And your organization? Let's, let's, uh... Men's Health Foundation is our organization, and we're really uh, focused on trying to engage men in health care. Uh, for every 10 women that go to the doctor, two men go. Uh, we are working on developing amazing treatments, vaccines, preventative medications. We have medications that can prevent HIV nearly 100% of the time. But someone's got to be engaged in healthcare. They've got to be seeing a health provider to have access to that. And your so website is? Is menshealth.foundation. Okay, listeners, you can go look them up. You're listening to Channel Q. We'll be back after the break. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back, kids. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, broadcasting this morning in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Sacramento, Las Vegas, beautiful Palm Springs, Phoenix, and our newest station in Houston. Welcome, Houston, to Channel Q. Glad to have you aboard. Next week, we're adding Miami and Washington, D.C. It's awesome to have all this LGBT programming going on all over the U.S., our hearts are out right now to the people of Anchorage, Alaska, because this morning during my show, apparently there was a 6.6 earthquake in Anchorage. We don't have any reports yet about damage, injuries, or fatalities, but obviously being um, on the, fi- the ring of fire here in Southern California, we are extremely sensitive, and our hearts go out to the people of Anchorage, Alaska. We hope you're safe and uh, hope that uh, there's not going to be a follow-up tsunami, but we will all keep our eyes posted on Anchorage, Alaska to see uh, what, if anything's going on up there. So, as promised, kids, my Red Bull has kicked in, and uh, I want to talk a little bit now uh, before we greet our next two guests who are coming on in the show. We're going to have the incredible, uh, one of the incredible activists on HIV, Ms. Sherry Lewis, joining us in the second and third segments of our show, along with Jack Lorenz from the Alliance for Housing and Healing. They're great activists working on HIV and AIDS for decades. It'll be great to have them here talking about World AIDS Day. But I have to tell you that Mike Pence gave the speech for World AIDS Day yesterday. Uh, That's our vice president, Mike Pence. And for the second year in a row, talked about HIV and AIDS, without one mention of the LGBT community for the second year in a row. Oversight? Coincidence? I think not. This is Mike Pence, the guy who thought that the best way to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS was to put all gay men through reparative therapy. That was his bright idea. And he thinks that the best way to prevent the spread of HIV for heterosexuals is abstinence until marriage. That'll stop AIDS. Yeah, Mike, we tried that in the 80s. Dismal failure. And Mr. Pence, whether or not you want to recognize the LGBT community, let me tell you, sir, we carried this plague for the United States of America. We, and by we, I mean lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, transgendered women, transgendered men, I mean queer activists, I mean queer nation, I mean ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. We were the individuals in the streets demanding that the government shut itself down under Ronald Reagan until they came up with treatments and cure. Because, sir, your 
party was in power during the 80s, and those were the ideas, the bright ideas that came out of the Reagan administration. Just say no to sex. Just be abstinent until marriage. And you sat on your hands and you twiddled your thumbs for seven frickin' years from 80 until 87 when Ronald Reagan finally said the word AIDS in 1987, although at the time there were already 200,000 dead Americans because of the inaction of the Reagan-Bush administration. Yep, you would think that maybe after the first 100 deaths, maybe the country would sit up at attention. You'd think after the first 1,000 deaths, that maybe the federal government would... You'd think after the first 100,000 deaths that the federal government would have jumped into a response, but they didn't because they were strangled by Jerry Falwell's moral majority, the religious right, Pat Robertson, people like you, Mike Pence, that decided that your religious convictions would veto public health. And the spread of HIV and AIDS all over the world, that is the blood you have on your hands, sir, because of the inaction during the early days of HIV and AIDS. But because of your inaction, you know, the great thing about vacuums and voids is that that is when heroism and courage kick in. Because the people who hopped into the void were people who looked like me and my guests on the show today, people who were considered deviant, who were considered criminal, who are considered less than, these were the women and men that stepped into the vacuum, stepped into the void, and created community, and created AIDS foundations, and started AIDS walks, and created AIDS life cycle. These were the people with ACT UP and Queer Nation shutting down freeways and government buildings demanding that action be taken by the CDC and the FDA to approve life-saving drugs. We were the people that tormented the government, wherever you all went, to force you into action, to force you to say the word AIDS, to force you to say the word homosexual, IV drug users, prostitutes, to force you to face the reality of what was happening in our nation. And because of that, we stepped into that void heroically, bravely, with courage, and we were all in our 20s. We were 20-year-olds. We didn't know any better. Kind of like the, the gun control advocates of today who stepped into the void when Congress wouldn't act. The people, the young kids we see in Florida, Emma Gonzalez and others all over this nation who were 20 years old just stepped because we don't know any better. Well, there was a generation of women and men who stepped into the void in their 20s who didn't know any better, who changed the world, who changed the way in which HIV drugs would be approved, would change the relationship between doctor and patient, would change the way that government and public health officials would respond to epidemic or disease from that day forward. We changed it all because we just didn't know any better. And why do we do it? Not because we had noblesse or we were noble or we thought we were being heroic because our friends were dying our friends were sick and they were dying and our hearts were broken that's what forced us into the streets forced us lobbing down the halls forced us to mock president reagan vice president bush and the republican congress who would fail to do anything about it and had it not been for that heroism it would have been far far worse so where are we now here we are 2018 Fortunately, the fiery 80s and the early 90s are behind us, but we lost 685,000 Americans in that period of time. 685,000 died because of your inaction and your neglect, and I, for one, and many of my friends will never forget that or forgive you for what you did. But there's always a silver lining in every dark cloud, and the silver lining was that it created LGBT communities, it created organizations, it created activists who would go on to change the world because of your inaction. So for that, I'm grateful. But we had to pay a very heavy price. We paid in blood and tears for this. It has created who we are. It has made us who we are today. It has given us the ability to fight whatever we come up against without fear because we have stared down plague. It's said in world events, there are three events that possibly change everything. War, famine, and plague. And this group, 
of young LGBT activists and our straight allies in our 20s. We were just all club kids at Studio 54 and Studio One. We were the ones who stepped into it, took it on, and changed the world, sir. So, Mike Pence, I don't really give a rat's cahootie whether or not you say LGBT in your annual World AIDS address. We can't even get you to say the words safe sex. I don't care what you have to say. You are irrelevant to me, sir. But we will make sure that world history and Wikipedia and anyone who wants to hear the truth about what happened knows that LGBT was at the center of the response to HIV and AIDS, and it created a community of people that we are all forever grateful to have. Someday, Mike Pence, you and Donald Trump will be long gone, perhaps behind jail prison bars, if I had my way. Someday you'll be long gone, but the LGBT community and our allies, we will continue on and continue to do what's right and what's just because we've been on the receiving end of discrimination and oppression and we've overcome it with dignity and with grace. And that's why we extend it now to Muslims, to migrant caravans, to immigrants, to those others that you would demonize out of your, quote, religious convictions. But I got to tell you, sir, I don't know about you, but I know what Jesus would do because when he was around, he hung out with the prostitutes and the lepers and the tax collectors and all those who were considered lesser than than the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you know what? If it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for you, Mike Pence. But obviously you haven't learned that lesson. God help the poor people of the state of Indiana. I'm sure they're glad you're no longer there. And I'll be glad when you're no longer sitting on Pennsylvania Avenue. But more to come about that in 2019, because in 2019, the Speaker of the House will be Nancy Pelosi, sir. She represents San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah, one of the ground zeros during the great epidemic and plague. And the leader of the, uh, uh, the House Banking Committee will be Maxine Waters who's been doing HIV and AIDS work since she took on public education on HIV in the 80s when she was a California State Assemblywoman. She'll be in a position of power as well. And we have now, because of the blue tsunami, hundreds of LGBT elected officials all over this country who will hold you and Donald Trump and others accountable for what you are wreaking upon our country today. So... I guess I'll just conclude with my World AIDS Day address by saying if you're a young LGBT person out there, you need to know you come from good stock, that the LGBT activists before you face down not only homophobia, discrimination, violence, and hate, but face down plague and epidemic. And we did it with bravery and with courage and mostly with love. We linked arms with the woman or the man to our left and to our right. And even though our fellow activists were falling along the way and we were losing them by the thousands along the way, we persevered and we stood strong and created something beautiful and wonderful. You can't have wedding bells and wedding cakes without acknowledging the sacrifice that was made by those HIV and AIDS activists in the 80s and the 90s. You're listening to us here, Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
Good morning, and you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, broadcasting San Francisco, Sacramento, Los Angeles, Palm Springs, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and our newest sister city, Houston, soon to be joined with Miami and Washington, D.C., starting next week. And we're here talking about World AIDS Day, and I am joined by two of my favorite people in Los Angeles, the incredible Sherry Lewis and the spectacular Jack Lorenz. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So, Sherry, let's start with you. We're kidding during the break that you're the girl with the gay disease. I'm the girl with the gay disease. (laughs) The only girl on the planet in 1985 to be HIV positive. Well, you were diagnosed in 85. I was diagnosed in 87. But in 85, I got clean and sober, so I can easily track my sexual behavior because I abstained from sex for the first year because of the triggers I thought it would bring to yeah. my... And you were a New York club girl, right? You were a big club... I was. Uh, I performed in clubs. Right. I worked in clubs. I had a. I was pretty conscientious about a career, so I went to clubs not to party. I went to clubs to perform. But of course, after the show, the party just gets started. Yeah. Now, in 1985, <laughs> 87, being a woman, a straight woman, yeah. with HIV, I guess you kind of stuck out. You were that one thing that was different from everybody else in the waiting rooms, I assume. Yeah, I was the girl. Yeah. Did you find other women with HIV during those days? I, I found other women in the world of HIV. They were working. um, When I was diagnosed, I was then living in Boston. And so the Boston Living Center would have a lot of mothers. (laughs) That was so sad. Mothers of children with HIV. And there were a couple of positive women who had, you know, AIDS. So that was short-lived. I didn't see a community of positive women. There wasn't like a support group for positive women. There wasn't much of a support group of anything. There was just, but I was the girl. I was always the girl. I mean, obviously HIV and AIDS is highly identified with gay and bisexual men through sexual activity, but there were other ways too of acquiring HIV. Granted, IV drug users were the second highest growing risk group in those years. Yeah, and blood transfusion. Yeah, blood transfusion. But on the East Coast where I was, that was actually more prevalent. The numbers were bigger in those years from IV drug use. And it was more of the quote unquote gay disease on the West Coast. Hmm. But I had a gay boyfriend in the 80s. So I crossed. I was the crossover girl. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Jack, you are now with the Alliance for Housing and Healing. And that was once L.A. Shanti, wasn't it? No, it was Aid for AIDS. Aid for AIDS. That's right. That's right. It was Aid for AIDS. That's right. 1985. We started in 1985. And it was really just a group of men who got together in the community to help pay, at that time, people's... um, health insurance premiums, because if you lost your health insurance in 1985, you were never going to get it back. Right, right. And so a group of guys got together to um, to pay people's health insurance plans, and then they started to realize that people weren't able to pay the utilities, and they needed help with their rent. And, you know, I'm happy to say that close to 35 years later, the mission has not changed that much. What we still do is make sure that everyone has health care and that they have housing because we've we've come to realize that in terms of HIV and if we're going to find an AIDS-free generation, housing is the most important social determinant of health. It's more than important than anything else. We have 2,000 clients now and pretty much all of them are, have been unstably housed or homeless. Mm. Oh. And it's very interesting that Sherry said that she was the girl. Probably close to 40% of our clients today are women. Wow. And they're usually women of color, trans women. Um, the most marginalized and the most the most challenged population, um, and especially mental health issues, substance abuse issues. But of those 2,000 clients, housing is the one that has gotten us to be able to make pretty much, I would say, 97% of our clients are undetectable today. Wow. You were a big studio executive. You left all that power <laughs> and glory of Hollywood to do nonprofit work. Why? I I was very fortunate. I had just signed a, a I, I was working for a company called Mandalay Entertainment at Sony Pictures, and um, I just signed a three year deal. And everybody's fantasy in Hollywood is to sign a deal and then get fired because we're tired, we're shaky all the time. <laughs> and that happened for me. The um, the deal that the 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 man who ran the studio uh, at the time, Peter Goober, uh, was leaving, and so Peter, so he then they brought in a new regime, and everybody who just signed new deals was out. And so I had this 
money for three years. And so I, I really knew that uh, the time had come for me to do something that I really cared about. And my then husband was becoming very active in the social justice space. And so I took that opportunity to work with him. I transitioned from feature films to documentaries. And then from documentaries, um, I wound up going to graduate school because I have a degree in theater history and that in $2.95 will get you a venti drip. <laughs> and so I went to graduate school to get a degree in humanities and public policy. So I had some street cred and so from that from that education, I was able to transition to Equality California, right. where I began to work on civil rights issues, and so Very, that's how I wound up where I am today. Mm-hmm. Sherry, how many people can you estimate you know that died of HIV or AIDS? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it started with my small community of friends. Uh, that was probably the first 12 friends. Then it blew up. Um, a lot of the people that I had was already counseling and working in hospices and doing what I thought was kind of the maternal thing. I was just holding hands and wiping brows. And they all left this world. So there were hundreds that, you know, and the guilt of why am I still here? I just that was my next question. Was, why are it, you still here? It, it was it, And you're a Jewish woman. Uh, the guilt must be so the painful. The guilt is so heavy. <laughs> well, I figure my people have already walked through the gas chambers, so I'm get to be here. Cuz AIDS I always really equate with a Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I actually do because there was a generation, especially when we go to our meetings and you see a generation of men that, you know, 40 is the top age and you wonder why is it just 40 to 45 and you go because that generation my friends who still were wearing mustaches and short shorts uh died of aids right Six hundred eighty-five thousand. Six hundred eighty-five. and so i mean it's not natural or correct to bury more friends than your mother or father at the ripe age of 30. To just always have that black suit ready with the red pin, and you're ready to go again. There were just memorials, constant memorials. There's, you know, we came in when the disease was already full blown, and there were no drugs and there were no answers, and all there was was stigma. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, hope nobody finds out about you at the gym. No one will want to use the same equipment. No one will, you know, no one will kiss you. No, you know, and for hetero life, yeah, I was lucky I was married, and that's why I got tested, to be married. Wow. Ha! Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. That's that was ironic. Tricky. That's ironic. <laughs> We're going to have to go to commercial break in a second. When we come back, Jack, maybe we can talk about the fact that it seems like a lot of the dying has stopped, and now we have a generation of people living with HIV that need things like housing. So we'll pick that up when we come back after commercial break. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and we are talking to long-term activist Sherry Lewis, uh, activist on HIV, and Jack Lorenz from the Alliance for Housing and Healing. Jack, right before the break, we were talking about the death and dying that was happening in the 80s and 90s, but how many friends did you lose uh, during that period? I don't actually know how many friends I lost, to be honest with you. I can tell you that at one time, at 26 years of age, I had the um, health care power of attorney for 35 people. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. 35 wow. people at 26 years old. When I look at some of the kids that I know that are 26 years old mm-hmm. today, it, I mean, it was such an interesting time. We didn't have a choice. We had to grow up really fast because these people needed to be taken care of. Absolutely. And they were our friends and lovers. They were our yeah. friends and our lovers and, yeah. and their families in those days didn't understand. And a lot of them had lost their families. So... Um, 35, I, w- I actually moved a couple of years ago and I pulled out that file uh, as I was going through stuff and I had 35 durable health care powers of attorney. When's the last time you recall somebody dying of AIDS that you knew? 
It's been a while, right? It's been a long, long time. You it's too, Sherry? It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while because of protease inhibitors and integrase and entry inhibitors. Oh, yeah. All sorts of stuff. But, you know, it's interesting that the Alliance for Housing and Healing, um, we are the, um, we're the organization that does the... Um, uh, the Memorial Walk on Santa Monica Boulevard, and we actually just sold a panel. We just sold a, 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 a space the other day. It's going to be his family is going to be here, but from a guy who who died of AIDS two months ago here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I actually know that guy. He, yeah, yeah, it's still happening. Um, yeah. and, and, but what I'm really thrilled about with all the dr- with all the HIV drugs is that we've come to this place now where I think that we are we are on the um, we're on the edge of a, of a cure. I think that the three of us are going to see an AIDS-free generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm almost convinced of it, but we're not going to see it unless we address the homelessness problem. And homelessness is the greatest source of trouble, especially in Los Angeles County or any major urban area, because all of the people that are dealing with um, substance abuse, there are a lot of people that are forced into the street economy. Um, and so if we can get those people off the streets and into housing, we can get them within into care right away. And then we can address those other issues. We're a housing first model, which means that we will accept anybody that's willing to be housed. You know, they can be it's substance abuse. It doesn't matter to us because we believe that if we get you into housing, there's a really good shot that we can get you off of um, whatever it is. Because a lot of people, it's really interesting. A lot of people think that they see homeless people that are drug addicts, they think, oh, they were a drug addict and they wound up homeless. Completely the opposite, especially for women. Um, Especially in Los Angeles, many people are a paycheck away from the street, to be perfectly honest with you. And so a lot of women who wind up homeless the streets are a very dangerous place at night, really dangerous. Women should not be sleeping on the streets at night. So what do they do in order to stay awake to protect themselves? They turn to drugs, and mostly, most specifically, they turn to crystal meth. And it creates that, this downward spiral that, makes, spiral that makes it even more difficult to help them. So I think it's really important for people to understand that um, HIV is but, a, is but a symptom of a much greater problem when we talk about the homeless population. Wow. And uh, what we know is a lot of HIV right now disproportionately impacts African-American and mm-hmm. Latino communities. Yes. Right? One of, we have four group homes and, and several hundred apartments, and one of our group homes is devoted entirely to uh, women and children. And most of the women, probably 99% of the women in there are Latino women, and we, we provide care and services to the undocumented. Um, we, we'll do whatever it takes to get somebody off the streets. And the majority of the women that are um, HIV positive in our homes are Latina. And one of the reasons, and it's one of the distressing pieces of that piece of information is that most of them were married to men who infected them. Mm. And then within the Latino culture, it's not it's not acceptable to have a wife that has HIV. And so they, these, wind, these women wind up being on the streets. And so that's, where they, and that, so that's when they come to us. Mm. That's Beautiful. kind of your story too, right, Sherry? I mean, you were infected by I, a sex my boyfriend. Part, your boyfriend, right, right. I mean, I was like a... And he was oh, bi? Or I he wasn't was... a real part. He, I was his only girlfriend. He always says, you were the love of my life. And I always go, I was the only girl in your life. <laughs> so, uh, so if that makes me qualify, that's fine. Yeah, he was, you know, he always, he was gay. But he even says in his some of his interviews, because he's alive, thank God, um, and we're still in touch. We check each other, make sure, how you doing? You know, it's a good thing. You know, it's funny, the straight world generally doesn't understand that. They're like, you're friends with him after he infected you? I said, he didn't go out to infect me. We were, we were a couple, and it was new, and who knew, you know? And when it happened, we were both... Very. Uh, I called him. I said, "I got bad news, Z. I'm I'm positive." He said, "Oh, darling, who isn't?" And you know, we went from there. But I understood that that was my culture too. I I got it. You know, some people think that was horrible that he said that. I said, "No, I understood what he was saying." It's like, oh my God, my whole community is going down. So, um, so part of World AIDS Day is remembering those who have passed. Yeah. Who, if you had to identify one woman or man that died who was really extraordinary in any which way, activism, well, my, who would you call them? Uh, well, mind? they couldn't be activists. They didn't know what hit them. They weren't even diagnosed with HIV. Uh, Lori Robinson, the first person, my friend, uh, she was very sick, and I kept bringing her to the hospital, and they just kept sending her home like she had the flu. So she was never diagnosed with HIV because she was a woman. And um, and then my friend Richard Cheney said that that was his name. He was nothing like the one we know. But um, he died. He was one of the early victims, you know, where he was like, I have ARC, honey. ARC. 
So uh, he was related complex, right? Uh, and yeah. he was in the hospital for endless at St. Vincent's in New York, no longer existing. And uh, he was there for like four or five months. And, you know, we just decorated his room like an apartment. And as he lost all his abilities to write, to see, to think, a horrible way to go. So that's very traumatizing to know that you have that virus that does that. Yeah. That, and that, you you got no hope. There's no drugs. So yeah. you just hang on to screaming in the streets. Yeah, scary. Jack, who comes to mind for you? Uh, Arthur Brickell. Who was he? Arthur Brickell was a friend of mine. He was um, he was much older than I. I when I am, um, in 1985, I was 26 years old, and Arthur was, <laughs> I say this now, he was much older than me. He was probably 40, and um, he was uh, a mentor to me. He, um, I, I didn't come out until 1985, and he taught me what it was to be like a proud, sober, gay man. Um, he was a lovely guy who, um, he came out of Brooklyn. He was a heroin addict and a drug addict and an alcoholic who had gotten sober. And he was just an amazing guy, just an awesome man. I, I guess I'm going to call out Connie Norman. You guys know Connie? Mm, Connie sure. was a transgender yep. woman here in Los Angeles, part of ACT UP LA. Mm -hmm. Fiery red hair. Oh, Connie Norman. She would go and she'd make fun of the police. Your gloves don't match your shoes. Your gloves don't match your shoes. Because they would rub her up with rubber gloves to right. avoid touching uh, people yeah. that they thought were HIV positive. And she was spectacular. When I saw her on her deathbed at Chris Brownlee Hospice, you know, she only had a few mm -hmm. days left, went to see her to say goodbye. She goes, Honey, make me one promise. You'll take care of my girls after I'm gone. Mm. And I've kept that promise for transgendered women here in LA because yeah. of Connie. So, what do we do with the young kids, gang, now that we're all over uh, 50 and we've got young people still out there being sexual like we were and we do it in one minute? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that was my primary purpose uh, when I started doing my activism with, was because I wasn't going to be able to become a mother, which was the biggest scar for me because that was the whole reason I got tested, to see if I could have a healthy baby. And then that was off the, off the table. And so I went to schools. I went to 150 schools a year for about 15 years and did the AIDS education, which was very basic. And then as it grew, it grew, it grew. And we don't really have that anymore. They don't go to schools. Now, when I moved out here, I was at UCLA, and I did the UCLA AIDS Ambassadors. And so we got hundreds of kids to be educated, and they educate others. And we've got a candlelight vigil tonight, West Hollywood, 6 o'clock, Santa Monica Boulevard and Crescent Heights. Right, John? Correct. All right. We'll see you all there. Thank you for listening to Sidebar with John Duran. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, guys, welcome back for the final few minutes here of Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. What a great show we had, all that talk about World AIDS Day. And tonight in West Hollywood, there will be a candlelight vigil in March at 6 o'clock, starting at the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and Crescent Heights, where the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, along with the AIDS quilt, will proceed from Crescent Heights and Santa Monica down to San Vicente and Santa Monica, which is, of course, the heart of the historic Boys Town area. And the Paul Stork uh, Warrior Awards will be given to those HIV and AIDS activists who've been doing extraordinary work this year. But as you're driving down Santa Monica Boulevard tonight, you may notice there are flowers strewn along the planters. Those are the flowers at each of the memorial plaques. And if you're ever walking down Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood, you may notice names of women and men in bronze along the sidewalk. Those are the names of the lost ones that we lost to HIV and AIDS that we remember, especially here at World AIDS Day. So next week... I'll be broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. from the Victory Fund, International Gay and Lesbian Elected Officials Victory Fund, 
We'll have guests from all over the country coming on, talking about their experiences campaigning in places like North Carolina and Pennsylvania and other parts of this nation. Hope you can join us next Friday as we broadcast live from that conference from Washington, D.C. And, of course, I'm going to round this up with recognizing the 40-year anniversary of Harvey Milk's assassination, which happened this week. Dear Harvey... Harvey, did you ever think you'd see a day when there would be hundreds, hundreds of LGBT elected officials across this nation? Of course you did, because you were a visionary and you thought that was possible. And to that, we pay tribute. Your life was shut, cut short by fellow supervisor Dan White, who murdered you and George Moscone in cold blood that November day of 1978. You hadn't even been in elected office for one year, and you were gunned down violently at San Francisco City Hall. That was tragic enough, Harvey, but months and months later during the trial, the jury came back with a verdict of only manslaughter rather than double murder. Only manslaughter because you were gay, because you were homosexual, and that outraged us as a people as we took to the streets all across this nation, which would become known as the White Knight Riots, that LGBT people were not given justice in this country, and we would not accept it any longer. And so in 1979-80, we ended up creating a foundation, a very firm foundation, that would then have to go on and handle the biggest plague to ever hit the planet. So, Harvey, in some ways, you were the necessary martyr that we needed to have at that exact time to set the stage, to set the foundation for what was to come that none of us ever would have expected or anticipated, and that was plague in our midst. Harvey, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for being the first out elected official in the nation. Thank you for inspiring all of us who now choose to run for office and get elected. And Harvey, I'm going to consider you part of the gang next Friday when we're broadcasting from Washington, D.C., because you would take great, great smiles and great, great encouragement from seeing hundreds, hundreds of LGBT elected officials from Utah to Maine, from South Carolina to Miami to Seattle to Honolulu, all across this great nation. We have out LGBT elected officials because you were the first that told us we could. So, Harvey Milk, we salute, we recognize you, uh, we remember your death, not as complete tragedy, we're sorry that we lost you too soon, but thank you for being inspiration to let us all move forward. And thank you to the AIDS and HIV activists all across this nation for carrying the heavy lift across the epidemic in the 80s and the early 90s. And thank you to those of you young millennials and people who are now picking up the burden post-marriage equality because the battle ain't over yet, gang. Yeah, marriage wasn't the end of the road. (laughs) Marriage was just helping set the structure and the framework for the institutions that we're building. We got a lot more to do. If you need any any, uh, information to see whether or not that's true, just take a look at what's happening to LGBT people in places like Mississippi and Alabama and other places where LGBT people are still subjected to violence and discrimination. We got more work to do, kids. Thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran and look forward to speaking to you all next week live from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You're listening and thank you for doing so to Channel Q.